Hello and welcome to Medical Matters, an Adam Center podcast. I'm Hannah Evanson, and I'm very honored to be having this conversation today with Dr. Galfer Grossman. The Adam Center works to strengthen Jewish women and family life and promote the spiritual, emotional, physical, and sexual health of women and couples using the mikvah as a primary vehicle to attain those goals. Sharon Galper Grossman is a radiation oncologist and former faculty member of Harvard Medical School, where she also obtained a master's in public health. She is a graduate of the Morot Halacha program for women's advanced halachic learning at Matan Hasharon. She writes and lectures on women's health and halacha and teaches for Matan, Machon Pu'ah, and the Eden Center, where she is the director of community health programming. Welcome back to Medical Matters. Our topic for today is the topic of stress. We are several weeks in to Mechemet Harvot Barzel, and given what's going on, we decided to address this topic of stress in our lives, in halacha. We're inspired by the current situation and the fact that we've been speaking to a lot of people who are experiencing stress for a lot of different reasons right now, from a lot of different sources right now. And we really hope that we can put this topic on the table, gain some information, some tools, validate what people are experiencing and feeling, look at it also through the angle of halacha and Torah, and also recognize that stress is not something that we're experiencing only now, but it's something that comes and goes in our lives in all sorts of different contexts. And we'd like to discuss it both broadly and medically and halachically and specific to now and gain some information and some tools that hopefully can help us with getting through the day-to-day right now and moving forward in the best way possible. So, hello, Dr. Sharon Grossman. Hello, Sana. And it is always good to be jumping into another topic and uh, seeing what you have to share with us today. So on today's topic of stress, can I ask you to start us off just by giving us some basic information? What is stress and how might it be affecting us? So stress is really uh, the body's natural reaction to a harmful situation. We, the, we, our minds perceive danger and send out a signal to the hypothalamus, which then signals the rest of the body to produce hormones. These are stress hormones, cortisol and adrenaline, to create the fight or flight response, which was really um, an evolutionary tool of ours to survive. We see danger and our reaction is either to pump up, to fight, or to run away. And so that response actually helps us survive. It helps us um, get through difficult, dangerous situations. And there, but if that stress goes on for too long, then it can start to have harmful effects. I should just point out that there are actually, there's something called eustress, which are good stressors. Uh, it's the, the eustress response is what causes us to slam our foot on the brake when we're about to crash into a car. It's what pushes us to go the extra distance to prepare for a presentation uh, at work uh, or to land a job at a job interview. There's acute stress, which is short-term, and then there's long-term stress, which goes on for a while. And now, 
you know, we're into the, we're months, we're at least one month into the war, uh, we're in a state of chronic stress. And so the problem arises when we experience stress over a prolonged period of time. I think now uh, it could be that we're experiencing a combination of short-term stress and long-term stress, at least from I know what I've been experiencing and people that I know, depending on if you have soldiers um, that are in Miloim, in the Army, and where they are and what you're hearing. And I think we're all in a long-term situation and that these sort of bursts of short-term stress also seem to come and go. That's my layman's observation of, I think, what people are experiencing. I think you're right. I think, you know, we we have days, I have days where I feel like, okay, I, I can manage this. And then suddenly I see something in the news or I hear something and I'm back where I was when I wasn't feeling like I could handle it. Right, right. And I think that everybody is, this is going to sound funny, but everybody's experienced what they're, what they're experiencing and no two people are going to be feeling exactly the same reaction to the news, to um, the Miluim call-up, to taking care of their kids in the day-to-day, depending on where you live, whether you're subject to sirens on a regular basis or sporadically. Um, So I do want to also just put out there this idea that I think we all need to, from a starting point, recognize that we're feeling what we're feeling and we're trying to understand it. There's no need to feel guilt over what you're feeling. I've actually been hearing from a lot of people. They say, oh, I feel guilty because I don't, I'm not dealing with X, Y, Z. I don't have sirens all night. I don't have somebody in the front lines. I don't have, I think it's great for us to all be sensitive to what other people are going through and recognize that other people might be experiencing things that we don't need to deal with. I, I don't feel that guilt is necessary or productive. I don't think anybody needs to feel guilty for not dealing with something. I think we need to feel grateful for what we have and sensitive to the needs of others. So, Sharon, what are the physical signs of stress? So everyone reacts to stress differently, as you said, Hannah. Uh, and that's why it's really, it's really, and, and stress affects every, every system of the body. So the signs are, are broad. There are all kinds of signs, and depends on what organ system you're looking at. Uh, it really, not what organ system, sorry, what, um, what uh, part of the body you're looking at. So it's, and it's really important to know what the signs of stress are, because that's the first step in managing it. That's the first step in dealing with it, knowing what the signs are for you. Um, for example, I got some, I thought a few weeks ago before my son was going into Gaza, I thought he was going into Gaza and about 10 minutes later, my arm became numb completely. Uh, and luckily, you know, luckily that passed and after a long time, but I knew, I know that that is a very, that, that, that's what, that was my trigger. That was my sign of stress. So what are the signs of stress? Well, what happens when um, when we're under stress is the body releases adrenaline, and that causes our heart rate to rise. And when the heart rate rises, that can increase the risk of a heart attack. It causes the blood pressure to rise. 
which also can increase the risk of heart attack or stroke. Why is blood pressure rising? Because the blood being diverted to our muscles so we can run away. It causes us to tense up, our muscle to tense up, which leads to headaches and um, backaches. It causes our breathing to become more rapid. And so it can exacerbate asthma for people who have asthma. It uh, causes the body to, causes the liver to release glucose, which raises our blood glucose levels and puts people at risk for diabetes. It weakens our immune system. Did you ever notice after you work really hard at something for work or you make a simcha and suddenly you crash, you get sick afterwards? So that's because it weakens your immune system. It causes changes in appetite. People undereat, people overeat. It happens to be that um, we crave rich foods, foods that are rich in fat and sugar and salt, and it's, it's not, there's a reason for it. It's because cortisol causes us to want those foods, to give us a big, big, strong dose of energy to prepare us to go out and fight whatever threat we perceive. And unfortunately, that also can lead to weight gain. It leads to um, acid production, which causes stomach aches. Uh, cortisol and adrenaline actually affect our sleep. The reason we wake up in the middle of the night uh, or we have trouble falling asleep when we're under stress is that these hormones make it difficult to fall asleep and stay asleep. And it's a vicious cycle because if you don't sleep at night, you're more stressed the next day and you have a lot more trouble dealing with stress. It can cause fertility problems, can affect our sexual desire, it affects our periods. So women will either um, not stop having periods or they'll, they'll go a longer time without a period or they'll have bleeding in the middle of their cycle. It can make um, menopausal symptoms worse, and it actually can cause chronic inflammation. Uh, not not necessarily doesn't necessarily always happen, but it can increase arthritis and diabetes and Crohn's disease um, and irritable bowel syndrome. So these are just just a a, a few a few a long list of things that stress can do to us. But it's important to be aware of this uh, because if we're experiencing these symptoms, we can we have a better sense that we're under stress and maybe we should take some steps to address it. Wow. So stress really can have a profound impact on so many different parts of our physical well-being, and some of those actually sound pretty serious. What, at what point should somebody seek professional help? for the physical symptoms, or for the stress itself? So in terms of, um, it's a really important question, and, it's, and actually I should probably say that when my arm, arm went numb, I probably should have gone to the emergency room to uh, better assess that. But um, doctors are sometimes the worst patients. <laughs> so I think... Um, I would refer you to our podcast about heart health. <laughs> Correct. So if you're having symptoms of chest pain, shortness of breath, jaw pain, back pain, shoulder or arm pain, um, sweating, dizziness, nausea, these can all be signs of a heart attack and you should uh, most certainly seek medical attention. But also, uh, it's important to seek 
attention for the psychological aspects of stress. So if you're feeling like you're just unable to function at work or at school or in your family relationships, you're, you're under so much stress that you can't read a book um, or you can't sleep at night, uh, you're thinking about harming yourself, those are all reasons to reach out and um, get professional help. And just to add, because I think it's an important it's important to emphasize, if uh, someone you are with or someone you know is, is suicidal, call 911. Don't leave their side until there's medical attention. Uh, there's someone taking care of them. Okay, so pulling together what you said, um, in terms of the physical manifestations of stress, if somebody has a chronic condition which might be exacerbated by stress, it would be good to check in with your medical professional. If you have sudden or new symptoms that could be an indication of a heart attack or a panic attack, then that is something to seek medical help about. And if just the dealing with the stress seems to be something that becomes pervasive and keeps you from functioning in your day-to-day and going through the things that you need to do to take care of yourself or others, then that would be a time to reach out and, and seek professional help for the stress. And what you also said is that we also have eyes on each other. If you have a friend or a family member that you feel might be in one of those situations, then in a gentle and supportive way, try to make the effort to get them the help that they need. And if it seems like it's an emergency, then reach out for emergency help and not to think that, oh, it can't, it's just stress. You're saying it's not just stress. Stress can actually be very serious or lead to serious, serious things. Um, I think when we say it's just due to stress, we have to make sure it isn't something else. And if it isn't something else, then it's then we can say it's stress. But but it's it's a diagnosis of exclusion. We first need to make sure that there isn't a um, a medically life threatening reason for what we're experiencing. Um, Sharon, what about the effect of stress on men versus women versus kids? Do they usually manifest similarly, or will I see differences there? So women tend to report more uh, higher stress levels than men. They'll list a lot of uh, different sources or causes of stress, and they're more likely to deal with it in a variety of different fashions than men and to seek professional help. Women are, um, as we said, they're more likely to have, although they're going to have, they'll have certain symptoms that men aren't going to have, which is the menstrual irregularities, fertility issues. Women who are under stress actually tend to experience pain more um, more acutely. They're more sensitive to pain than men, and they have hormonal changes, which men aren't going to have. In terms of kids, kids can look can look okay uh, and and still be depressed. So they may not be depressed all the time, but they may they may be going through some difficulties. Uh, and the most important thing that we can do for, there are two things we can do to help our kids dealing with stress, which is number one, take care of ourselves. The whole oxygen mask story, uh, if it, we, we need to put the oxygen mask on ourselves first before we put the oxygen mask on our kids. And, um, 
and to check in with them and see how they're doing. And a little bit of help can go really a long way professionally with our children. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, connecting back to what we also mentioned in the beginning about validating that everybody's feeling what they're feeling. And I think that we should not underestimate the importance and the significance of um, if we are dealing with kids, whether it's our kids or we're educators or community people, um, kids that we can help through this time period with a sense of normalcy, with a sense of being okay, I think that in itself is a very, very great thing. And nobody should feel that that's just something small. Um, I've heard from people, oh, I feel bad. I'm just taking care of my kids. I'm not volunteering. And what I said was, I think if, if you can just support your kids so the day-to-day still feels normal and safe for them, that's a huge investment in those kids. It's a huge investment in our nation continuing to function um, and giving a sense of normalcy and keeping people feeling safe and okay and happy and well-adjusted. Um, it's no small thing. It's no small thing. So I think anybody who has the 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 ability to invest in the kids or the people in their circles, not just kids, um, but like you said, especially kids who aren't always going to show us what they're carrying and how things are impacting them. And I know that my kids go to school and I'm not sure what they're hearing. And yeah. So, so not, our kids are not going to tell us, Imam stressed. Uh, they might, kids, you know, are more likely to come with symptoms, somatization. So they're more likely to have stomach aches and headaches, and that's how they're going to express, uh, manifest stress. And it's our kind of responsibility and job to tease through those symptoms and tease through their feelings to really support them and get to the bottom. Yeah, yeah. And like you mentioned, Sharon, that we're, there's long-term stress and short-term stress. And as you said, we're already in a long-term situation. Um, and so, so I think it's, it's really important to be giving that support to the kids, like you say, who don't necessarily have that vocabulary and won't be aware uh, always about how things are impacting them and, uh, and how much they're also dealing with. Um, as another, and another thing just to add in terms of our kids, um, everything you read about our kids and stress and, and war and limit the social media. The less, the less they see, the better. Uh, and it's really important to kind of filter where they're getting their information from, make sure they're getting their information from legitimate sources, uh, and, and to limit the exposure. Yeah, yeah. I know we've been making a big effort, and despite our effort, it's so hard because it's hard for people to talk about anything else. And the minute you turn on the radio or the news or the computer, because because it's huge. Um, so every effort we can make is is a step in that direction. And I think this is a theme we often come to no matter what topic we're talking about, is that the subjects we're dealing with are not all or nothing. But if we can take a step in the direction of self-care, like you said, uh, which is an investment in all the people around us also, and a step towards limiting um, what our kids are exposed to, and a step towards recognizing when they might be experiencing stress or showing signs of stress, every step we take, then good for us, really good for us for that awareness and that step in the right direction, and it's not an all-or-nothing uh, all story. 
I wanted to now um, jump into the connection between stress and the world of Torah and Halakha. How does Torah and Halakha relate or recognize stress? It's fascinating, Hannah. Uh, there really is tremendous recognition of stress in the world of Halakha, in the world of Jewish law, a recognition of stress, uh, accounting for stress, an accommodation for stress, a sensitivity to stress. The actual, the, the word that's used for stress in modern halachic literature is metach uh, or lachatz, which is pressure, but classical teachings use the word tiruf hadat, um, a torn up mind. And there are many different, halachic recognizes that there are many different types of stress. So, for example, in Moed Katan, we learn that if a patient's relative dies, we don't tell him that the relative died. Shema titaref da'atola, lest his mind be torn. So if someone dies, someone is very sick and they have a close relative for whom they would uh, practice, they would be obligated in the laws of Avelut, the laws of mourning, that relative dies. We don't tell that per- the sick person, lest it destroy his mind. So we spare the individual from, from grief. We learn in Ketuvot, uh, uh, that the chatan, a, a groom, is exempt from Kriyatshma in the, uh, the first few nights after he gets married. Why? Because his, his mind is preoccupied, he is distracted by performing the mitzvah uh, of consummating the marriage. That's an example of religious pressure, religious stress. In Nida, Dafchet Amar Alafa 9a, we learn about a woman who is in a cave. A woman who is in a cave and and the time has come for her uh, her anticipatory separation when she anticipates it's her own not and she anticipates that she's going to get her period. It's it's the time when she's expected to get her period. She's considered tahora. She does not need to check, according to the Gemara, uh, because she's considered misulaketamim, because the because the fear removes the bleeding. So there's a recognition that physical danger can can cause stress, can cause stress to the body. Someone in, in Baba Batra, we learn that someone who is dying and wants to bequeath a gift to uh, to his relatives can do it verbally and not through writing because shemati because again his mind might be torn up he might experience tremendous anxiety if he can't do this so we, there's a recognition that financial causes can lead to stress and then the classic example is the woman who is giving birth in Shabbat. Uh, Gemara tells us that if a woman is giving birth and she needs a lamp, her friend can light it for her. And the Gemara says that's obvious because she's giving birth. We give her everything that she needs. And the Gemara says, no, it's not obvious because this woman is blind and she can't possibly benefit from the light. Why do we light the, why do we light the candle for her? Because we, we, what, if we don't do so, we're worried that her condition will worsen, that um, it will affect her physical health. So we see that there, that halacha recognizes examples of 
um, emotional stress, uh, religious stress in the performance of a mitzvah. It has the physical dangers and its effect on stress, financial dangers, and just general uncertainty. Oh, and another example in Bhavavatra, the Mara teaches us that changes in diet can be the start of illness. So physical, um, physiologic changes can also produce stress. So there is a very broad recognition of stress, an acknowledgement of stress, and its effect on our body and our ability to perform its slope. Okay, so I hear from these sources that halacha accommodates, um, recognizes the impact that stress might have on somebody's physical condition. Is that only in a situation where someone is ill and already dealing with a physical malady? So that's actually a really good question because if that you could understand why halacha would uh, want to reduce stress when someone is already ill because it would help with their healing. But um, in fact, we see that halacha recognizes and makes and, and makes efforts and strongly encourages us to reduce stress even when we're healthy uh, so that we don't become ill. So, for example, just I'll give you one example. The Gemara and Shabbos on Daf Kuf Nun Aleph Bet talks about, says that one may not sleep in a house alone. And the Me'iri on that says uh, one may not do anything that would bring him to the test of fear, all according to his nature. So, yes, uh, even a healthy person, the Chatan is a healthy person. And, again, um, the stress of fulfilling a mitzvah, uh, he might feel stress fulfilling the mitzvah of Kriyachma, uh, and he, so he's absolved from Kriyachma. Here too, we try to avoid, try to avoid anything that causes fear, even when one is healthy, because, because stress can negatively impact upon us. On the other hand, there actually are sources which, um, which promotes stress in Judaism. So remember we talked about eustress, positive stress, the stress of, you know, preparing yourself for a presentation uh, is actually a positive stress because it pushes you to go the extra distance. There are also sources in Jewish law that talk about positive stress, the stress of learning Torah all night and pushing ourselves to the limit so that we can learn more Torah, uh, the stress of fearing Torah, brachot, daf, Samach Abad Aleph talks about uh, fortunate is the one who is always afraid. And what is he talking about? What is what is um, the sort? What is this actually referring to? The fear of learning Torah. One should live in fear, constant fear of Torah. So there is a recognition, a, a very strong recognition that stress uh, can have a negative effect on us. But there's also uh, an acknowledgement that stress can motivate us and inspire us to, can push us to do better things. Okay, which goes back to what you were explaining in the beginning, that uh, that stress is a, a response of the body to uh, out-of-the-ordinary circumstances, which aren't always inherently bad. Um, so in other words, what I'm understanding is that halakha, recognizes stress as something that we can accommodate in order to avoid and also to respond to. Can you tell me more where halakha acknowledges that in practice? So it's, uh, there, it's in, you know, in many, in many, many areas. Um, and I think that, um, 
that uh, there's, it depends on the circumstances. So, for example, we saw with the example of the pregnant woman for whom we light a candle on Shabbat, which is a violation of a biblical prohibition under certain circumstances, Halacha would uh, allow us to violate biblical prohibitions. There are examples of rabbinic prohibitions that are violated, uh, that can be violated under certain circumstances, or um, e- even, uh, or even Amir al-Akum asking a non-Jew to uh, intercede and perform a malacha on Shabbat on our behalf. I, I just want to bring up an example, which just is it, so progressive um, as a physician. And that's Shulchan Aruch Orachayim Shin Vav Seif Tet, where the Shulchan Aruch tells us if a patient is at the end, the end of his life, and he tell and it's Shabbos, and he wants his relatives to come, it's permitted. Uh, and some say uh, we need a non-Jew to call the relatives, and there are others who interpret it as no, um, he can, uh, someone can directly reach the relatives. Uh, a Jew can reach the relatives, but the the point is that even uh, in the time of the Shulchan Aruch, there was a recognition of the mind-body connection. For only recently did the medical community recognize that it's important to have family involvement. Only recently were family members allowed to visit the hospital when someone was sick, and so you know today we recognize that if a family comes to visit a relative who's in the intensive care unit, those visits help decrease delirium, they decrease the length of stay in the intensive care unit. And already back in the time of the Shulchan Aruch, there was a recognition that there was inherent value to family members being there, uh, not just because they can have uh, an effect on on the medical care, but because they really there's something very calming about having relatives present. And so question is, you know, when does, and this is something that uh, Postkin have dealt with, when do, when does halacha allow for the violation of uh, rabbinic prohibitions to, to avoid stress? When does it allow for violation of biblical prohibitions? And the answer offered by Nishmat Avraham, uh, quoting the Sita Eliezer, is that it really depends on the circumstances. There are some times when Stress is going to lead to a life-threatening, dangerous situation, at which time it would be appropriate. Uh, it might allow for a violation of biblical prohibitions to eliminate the danger. Uh, and sometimes when the danger is less, the, the danger of the stress is, is less dramatic, where it might only allow for violation of rabbinic prohibitions. Uh, this, this consideration for stress and how it might impact upon us is a factor in so many contemporary halachic discussions. And we've seen it come up even just now in the last few weeks, all kinds of halachic questions regarding how to deal with Mida during war when husbands are away and coming home from Miluim for just a very short time. I think that in light of halachas, recognition of stress, and its effect on, on on the mind and the body and the importance of mitigating stress, it's really, really important to ask halachic questions and to turn to your halachic authority. Uh, when you have a question where stress 
or mental health might be involved and not just assume that something is permitted or something is prohibited uh, without asking because halacha accounts for stress, recognizes stress, and and sometimes even makes exceptions for stress. Yeah, that's really, really important. It's really important to also to reach out and ask and clarify. And it's it's good to hear you clarifying and explaining that halacha recognizes the importance of mental health, both in the way that it might impact somebody's physical health and also in and of itself, which could be, you know, a topic uh, for a whole different podcast of mental health and halacha. Um, which is a fascinating topic and really important to to find someone that you are comfortable asking and discussing things with, not just for physical uh, needs, but mental health needs. Um, I think there's more and more recognition of that in modern halachic writings and discussions. Um, and there really are a lot of people out there that if somebody feels that they want to discuss that topic and how it relates to themselves or somebody in their lives, um, it's worth it to find somebody that you feel comfortable discussing it with um, and where that um, uh, that meeting between the world of halacha and the world of mental health needs um, and how that can, that can be put into practice in somebody's life. Um, if I may... I want to pull one topic out that you mentioned, especially for our Ed and Center listeners, um, about this idea of NIDA and how stress that we might be experiencing short-term or long-term, more acutely or more um, over time, how that might affect somebody's um, menstrual cycle, their NIDA status, Tarada Mishpachan, their lives. So let's jump into that a little bit. So already just from the source that I gave about the lady in the cave from um, from the Gemara and Nida show, tells us that uh, this is that from way back, uh, Jewish law recognized that stress can affect our menstrual cycle. So just going back to that Gemara, we have a woman hiding in a cave. She's under tremendous fear. She's in fear of the Romans who are hunting her down. And she, Mara recognizes that she's not going to bleed. She's unlikely to bleed because she's in fear. And the Shulchan Aruch actually brings down to Lahalacha that um, a woman who is hiding in a cave uh, does not does not uh, need to check for anticipate for um, do it a check for uh, her ona the anticipatory separation uh, because. Fear dries up her blood. Fear is going to stop her from bleeding. But the Ramah says, no, 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 not everyone um, is the same. And um, for, it might, it's possible that for the fear might disappear for a moment and then she'll bleed. So she should check Lechatzila. And the Meiri says, actually, she should check because it's very hard to distinguish between fear and panic. Fear causes women to uh, stops women from bleeding, but panic causes them to bleed. And that's actually how um, Chazal interpret the Pasuk in Esther, Perak Dalad, Pasuk Dalad, Sechachel, Hamalka Ma'od, that um, Esther was greatly agitated, and they said that, oh, she, Parsanida, she started to bleed. So there's a very old recognition 
that um, bleed, that fear can either cause, can, can, can wreak havoc on our menstrual cycle. And that's really uh, something to keep in mind right now. Um, if you are bleeding and it's not the normal time to bleed, uh, first of all, uh, it's, and, and this, if it's persistent, uh, it's important to seek medical attention and make sure there isn't an underlying cause. Uh, and from a halachic perspective, if you're not in Nida, you're Tehorah, and you are having some spotting, take all of the precautions that, uh, we, that we remind women to take. Don't do any unnecessary decode, any unnecessary checks. Don't put in a tampon. Don't assume you're a Nida when you're not a Nida. Uh, wear colored underwear. Use colored towels. You sleep on colored sheets. Wait to wipe after uh, you've urinated uh, 15 seconds so that there is no possibility that urination masks our gusha. Um, and, uh, and ask, ask questions. Uh, ask, don't just assume you're Anita when you're not Anita, when you might not be Anita. Right. Right. So in and other words, one more, and one, and, yeah. and one, and one more point, which is that, uh, when you, when there is spotting, you're not technically Anita, uh, but the recommendation is to wait 24 hours to have intercourse to see whether the bleeding progresses or stops and also to avoid a situation of seeing blood immediately after having intercourse, which is a whole halachic problem in and of itself. Okay, so so in other words, a woman during this time or any time of prolonged stress um, might be um, bleeding at irregular times, having trouble um, getting through Shiva Nikim, be spotting at times that she doesn't usually spot, getting her period when it wasn't expected, all sorts of things that could be changing somebody's cycle temporarily and making it hard for her to stick to perhaps what she was used to in terms of her cycle in Tarada Mishpacha. Adding to that uh, the fact that a lot of people's daily life schedules has been significantly disrupted, which makes the stress even more pronounced in terms of if your spouse is away in the army or traveling and your time is not your own as it is. I will add into that that there are women living in areas where there's a lot of stress connected to going to the mikvah specifically, depending on if there's a miklat in the mikvah and um, whether they might need to leave their kids at night and whether there might be a siren when they're going out. And that's even once you've gotten to the point of getting your shivanakim and going to the mikvah. Um, yeah, it's not, and it's not simple. It's not simple even to remember to do a hefsek or a bedika right now because our lives are just so up in the air, and our time is not our own, and the days are shorter right now. So that shkia is even earlier than it used to be, um, and so just even to do the bedikot that we need to do to get to the mikvah is challenging. I'd strongly encourage women, uh, women who are preparing for the mikvah and um, going through the preparations to put a clock on your phone as a reminder to do your bedikot. Uh, try to do it in the morning, uh, especially if you need to, if you're going to check yourself 
more than once to try to get a clean bdika. You might need a little extra time. And as you said, right now our time is not our own. Right, right. The days are unpredictable. Um, and I know that uh, some people are taught that it's important to do a badika as close to shkia as possible, and there is halachic value in that, but it is also okay to do a badika early in the day, and then if somebody wants to take the lechachila approach and do uh, a repeated badika closer to shkia, that's wonderful, but if you've done a badika early in the day, then you are you are you have done your badika. You are within your halachic parameters, and so I think I would encourage people to do a badika at the first comfortable and relaxed opportunity that you can on the day that you need to do one, and know that you've done it. And yeah, four o'clock uh, candle lighting time in the winter uh, surprises me every single week. So um, in the winter, so it's it's hard to keep up with badika because it feels like it's you know lunchtime, and how is it already dark outside? Um, I do want to mention that just, you know, from from my experience with the world of Tarat HaMishpacha and Nida, that there is also sometimes positive stress that can throw off a woman's cycle, right? There's a concept of Dam Chimud, that when someone is in the days before their wedding, that there are different days that they, that Halakha is concerned that there might be bleeding at irregular times. And that's because of the positive emotions and the positive stress. Um, that are leading up to a wedding. So our systems are vulnerable to the things going on in our lives and um, and that we need to, I think, be accepting of that and recognize that that it happens. I think maybe we can try, you and you and I, Sharon, to put out there that we can maybe take a tiny bit of the stress out of this whole situation by women recognizing or helping women recognize that if this is happening to your cycle and happening uh, to your body during this time, that it can be very normal and it's okay. And I think that hopefully might take a little bit of the stress element out of it. And like you said, to ask, to not assume that your nida just because you saw a spot on a day that you didn't expect it, and to find someone that you're comfortable asking, to find someone who you feel understands where you're coming from, and has the halachic approach that you identify with and will take your whole situation in account with, because I think also what you've been mentioning from other things is that context, context matters in halacha. Um, yeah. And since, and since this is a medical matters podcast, I would just add that um, if you're having prolonged changes or you're having some unusual bleeding um, menstrual symptoms that it's really it is important to actually uh, seek medical help for that as well not just halachic help but also medical help right to check in with both the halachic side of things and the medical side of things and uh, and make sure that everything is okay Sharon I'd like to ask you what you recommend regarding managing stress how can somebody best manage their stress it's so this is this is really the key of this podcast. What what can we do to combat stress, to reduce stress, to get through this a little bit better? Um, because we're all under stress, and we're all and there are always going to be sources of stress. And the real question is, what can what can we do? What can we control in all of this? 
Um, and so very simply, we're better able to deal with stress when we start out in a healthier condition. And that means eating properly, sleeping, exercising. Exercising is so important because it relieves stress, it boosts our energy level, it improves our mood, it reduces the stress hormones, and it increases endorphins, which are the feel-good hormones. And we don't need to go run every day. Even just going outside and taking a walk can have an impact um, on stress. Exercise also helps us sleep better. So sleep exercise helps us during the day. It helps us at night. It reduces insomnia. Um, staying busy is important, whether it's through work, whether it's volunteering. There's studies that show that generosity reduces stress, which uh, explains, which helps, which is really remarkable. And um, so much, we've seen so much chesed since the start of this war. We've seen people just do unbelievable things. And while these things help Am Yisrael, they also help us cope better. Talk about uh, things, other things that help are mindfulness and relaxation techniques, uh, and visual imagery, the importance of prayer. For me personally, um, I'm not necessarily a uh, visual, ima- visual uh, imagery kind of person, and I don't particularly go towards the spiritual side, but when I my son went into Gaza, uh, I had this image in my head that I still hold on with me, even though it's been several, it's been weeks, of him walking in with a malach on either side, Mimini Michael, Mismoli Gavriel, uh, on his right Michael, on his left Gavriel, on each side a malach and above his head, Shrinat Kel, that God is above his head, literally marching in with all of his weapons, a big smile, all of his um his equipment, a big smile on his face, a big tan, and protected on all sides. And that image, that, that image has carried me through this. That's my image. Everyone needs to find what speaks to them. Uh, also, avoiding news, not to hide our heads in the sand, but trying to limit the amount of time we spend on social media, the amount of time we're spending looking at the news. Uh, and to do the things that we enjoy, um, whether it's reading a book or listening to music, things which calm us, all of these things fall into the category of self-care and keeping a good sense of humor. Yeah, yeah, I like your imagery, and uh, uh, I'm sending those angels to all the chayalim out there, for sure. I've been trying to... Uh, to keep in my mind for my soldiers the image of the Ananeha Kavod that just, uh, you know, surround them and push off any threat that comes their way. Um, and I think we're all, you know, all doing versions of that. But I like what you said about the positive thinking and focusing on the positive. Um, it's it's very easy for us to um, spend a lot of time focusing on our the, the fears and the things that we are afraid of. And I think we we will definitely do better for ourselves if we focus on, on on what we're hoping for, to focus on what we're hoping for. Not that that's an easy thing to do. I don't think that the things we're suggesting are easy. Uh, but like we said, if we can take a step in that direction. Hannah, it's really, really easy to um, 
to and tempting to try to re, to reduce stress by doing all kinds of destructive things that we that we do and don't even realize that they're not helpful, like overeating or uh, using substances, alcohol, um, or going back, you know, for those who quit smoking, going back to smoking, uh, staying up all night, binge watching TV. These are things that give us temporary relief, but aren't necessarily going to be good for our health in the long run. The next day we wake up and we just feel blah, and that just makes us less able to deal with stress or less able to deal with what what's going on around us. What about the sleep? What about the fact that so many people are struggling with sleep and how that's impacting them? Can you give us advice specifically about that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I thought about this <laughs> last night as I was trying to fall asleep, actually. Uh-huh. <laughs> and the sleep is a huge problem because if we don't sleep, then we have that and we wake up the next day and we're just exhausted. We just can't handle what's going on. It becomes even harder. And so there's, there's stress to fall asleep and to stay asleep, and then it becomes a vicious cycle. Um, I think everyone needs to find, figure out what works for, for them and what helps them uh, sleep better, fall asleep, eat more easily, be less likely to wake up. Some suggestions are to go to bed the same time every night, no matter what, even on um, the weekends, to do relaxation techniques, deep breathing, to shut the screens off. Um, blue light interrupts our body's own um, natural clock, so try to wind down the screen time certainly a half hour before bed. Taking a hot bath can help. Counting sheep, I tried that last night. I counted bagels. I went down from 100 to 1. I did not fall asleep, but there may be some people that that works for. Avoiding caffeine, alcohol, large meals, which can cause heartburn or make us drink a lot before bed, um, is also a, a, a recommendation. So, you know, we'll figure out when the latest you can have caffeine uh, before it interrupts sleep time. So for me, it's like two, three o'clock, but other people might be able to do it up till five o'clock. Exercise is so important. People who suffer from insomnia, exercise, it helps improve their sleep quality, but don't exercise too close to bed. Uh, And then some people swear by herbal teas, drinking herbal tea before bed, uh, reading a book before bed, figure out a routine, what works for you. And, and try to go with that. It's really hard, though, to stay off your, your devices because my phone's on by my head all night. What if there's a phone call I need to have? Uh, and every time I check my phone, there are notifications, which just stress me out. So really, try if we can, try to limit our checking the news uh, to the hours before bedtime, not right before, because I know for me that just riles me up when I start to read the news. It's trial and error. It's trial and error, and we're all struggling with it. Right, right. And and like you said, that you you mentioned the idea of that what's in our control. There's a lot that's not in our control right now, and um, what we can do are try to impact the things that are within our control. Like you said, trying to eat right and get exercise, and um, and and not feel 
and, and feel okay, not feel any guilt about our self-care. And this is something we've mentioned in podcasts on multiple topics is that there's often a hesitation of people to take care of themselves. And I think that's really important. Hannah, you make such an important point. Self-care is um, not just something, it's not a luxury. It's not something that we do, um, that it, it, it's an absolute necessity and it's, and it's a mitzvah. It's part of what it means to uh, keep the mitzvah of guard our health exceedingly. And the prime example of this is Hillel Hazakeh. Vayikra Rabbah teaches us that, tells us the, tells the story of Hillel Hazakeh who would leave the study hall to go to the bathhouse. And his students would walk with him. And they asked him, Rabbi, where are you walking to? And he tells them to fulfill a mitzvah. They ask him, what mitzvah is that? tells them to bathe in the bathhouse. And they ask him, is that really a mitzvah? And he says, just like the statues of the kings that are set up in the theaters and the circuses that, that, um, that we, have to, we have to clean and we have to polish, so too I'm going to polish and build up uh, the body that was given to me by God because I was created in the image of God. And so Hillel teaches us that these these Actions of self-care, which seem like Beetle Torah, they seem like a waste of time. They seem like taking us away from the things that were that were that were um, that were that were supposed to do. Actually, are what we're supposed to do. They're part of a fulfillment of the mitzvah of Nishmartim, because we need to take care of ourselves. A strong body and a strong mind are essential to worship God. Uh, they're essential for Avodat Hashem. So it's it's not just a luxury, but it's a mitzvah. And if anyone asks you what you're doing when you're exercising, you are going to fulfill the mitzvah. I actually have a little um, prayer, a little tefillah, to say before you exercise, that I found in a gym in Lakewood, New Jersey, uh, under the supervision, under the haskama, the uh, endorsement of the rabbis there, and it's a little tefillah saying, I'm about to engage in the mitzvah. This is all part of what it means to, uh, to, to care for our bodies, caring for our bodies and caring for our minds. I really like that. I like that a lot, that we're really investing and we're doing a mitzvah and keeping ourselves healthy. Um, and I want to add to that another layer, and that is even right now during wartime in Israel, um, one thing that's very special about Israel is the emphasis on the Oref, on the people at home as the support system that keeps our army doing what it's doing. And that if you do have soldiers out there, when they know that you're okay at home and you're taking care of yourself, it really gives them more strength. And, you know, people say, oh, we don't know how to answer the question, you know, how are you? Ma shlom cha. And somebody said, shlomi, shlom ami, right? However my am is doing, however the whole nation's doing, that's how I'm doing. But that on the reverse side is how we also invest in what's going on, is by keeping ourselves okay and helping ourselves and keeping our family um, you know, keeping things going and keeping things running and taking care of ourselves. It is an investment in ourselves, which is also met an investment in in the whole nation. 
And I think it's really important to remember that. Kind of what you just said reminds me of something that my father-in-law, Rabbi Rafael Grossman, Zecher Tzadik Lebracha, used to say uh, as a Dvar Torah, every Friday when my son would call him up, talking about a Pasuk in Tehillim, Kuf Kaf Bet, Pasuk Zayin, Yihi Shalom Bechalech, Shalvar Ba'amanotayich, that um, if there is peace in your walls, then there will be tranquility in your palace, that really what we want, what we seek is peace. Uh, all of our tefillot end with shalom, sim shalom, shmon uh, esrei ends with shalom, birkat kohanim ends with shalom, kaddish ends with shalom. All we really want in the end is peace, peace for us, uh, peace, personal peace for us, peace for our families, peace for our community, peace for Am Yisrael, peace for the world. But it can't start. It, it, the source of all of this is in our home, Yehi Shalom Bechelech. It starts in our walls. And, that's, and that speaks to the importance of self-care, caring for ourselves, caring for our families, because if we've cared for our families, then we, then we care for all of Am Yisrael and the world at large. So yes, Shlomi Shlom Ami, uh, I am as good as my my country is, as my people are. But on the other hand, our people our people can't be safe. We can't we can't have true peace, uh, inner peace, unless we start with inner peace within ourselves. One thing that um, I've noticed, Sharon, that you also mentioned about uh, ways that people are coping and using their energy in these days is about the tremendous amount of chesed projects, of giving and helping and doing that you see going on all across the country, in all the communities. And uh, first of all, it's beautiful and it's inspiring and it's really wonderful. And as I told my sons who are soldiers, I said, you know, when you accept the food that people are sending you, I think you're doing us a favor by letting us send things to you (laughs) because it makes us feel good to be sending things to soldiers and helping communities um, but I saw a, a really interesting study that really gave me food for thought, and that is this is a study that was done before this war um, with kids who lived in the south, live in the south of Israel, and have been under tremendously stressful um, uh, circumstances for many, many years. And it was a study that was done that they took a, a group of kids and gave them all a doll. And to half the kids, they told them that this doll needed their help. This doll needed them to protect them, to protect it. And when there was a siren and they had to go to the safe room, they had to make sure that they would take care of this doll, that the doll wouldn't get too worried or fearful. And the other half of the kids, they told them that this doll was going to give them special powers and was going to keep them safe. The doll was going to keep the kids safe when there was a siren and they had to go to the miklat. And according to this study, over time, the kids who were protecting their dolls, the kids who were taking care of the doll, as opposed to having the doll take care of them, actually over time showed less signs of trauma and less signs of post-trauma. And I think that that's really interesting, that it really fits with the image that we see all around us, that our instinct somehow is to give and to do and to help others. And first of all, it's beautiful in and of its own right, even if it wasn't necessarily having a long-term positive psychological effect on us. But it's really interesting to see that the science 
backs it up, that by giving to others and nurturing and helping, that we actually are helping ourselves, perhaps because it's a positive um, it's a positive way to channel our, our energy um, because we're nurturing others, we're focusing on the other and less focused on our own worries. And taking from that thought, just to remind us that sometimes that giving, which is important and helps us, might also just be within our own families and within our own homes and within our smaller circles, that's also giving. And that takes us back to that idea of self-care and that we're putting out our energy to keep ourselves well, to be kind to ourselves, to be kind to others. And those who want to go to the broader circle, to the broader communities and giving and chesed, that it's amazing. And everybody finds their level in their circle. So there's actually a physiologic reason for um, for, for why giving has such a positive effect, and that is that it causes the release of these feel-good hormones. Uh, there are studies that have looked at the parts of the brain that are activated when people give, and really the, there is a there is a physiologic basis for this. I also just want to point out, Hannah, you talk about communities. It's not just chesed in Israel, it's chesed all over the world. The outpouring of chesed that we have experienced from every corner of the world, wherever there are Jews, is just, is just incredible. Wow, thank you so much. Sharon, you've given us so much important information about stress, about how it impacts our bodies, about the world of halacha and where halacha sees, sees and acknowledges um, stress and mental health. Um, so any any parting words on this topic? Bezrat Hashem, with Hashem's help, we will get through this. We're all stressed. We're all anxious. There's just so much that we cannot control, so much uncertainty. But we can control a lot of things. We can control how we deal with stress. We can control how we react. Uh, and there is a halachic framework for, for dealing with stress, for managing stress. I find that tremendously comforting that, uh, when we don't know what else to do, uh, there, there are, there is a halachic language for this that, um, we should ask, we can ask questions and that the steps that we take to reduce our stress, to address stress, to combat stress, are part of the larger mitzvah of part of how we worship God and care for the body which he has given us. Sharon, thank you so much. And wishing us all that we should hear only Bishorot Tovot. Thank you to all our listeners and looking forward to seeing you next time. You've been listening to Medical Matters, Insights into Current Issues in Health and Halacha with Dr. Sharon Galper-Grossman and Hannah Evenchen. This podcast is an Eden Center production. To learn more about our work, check out our website at www.theedencenter.com.